What is up, Bitcoiners? Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to Diego Monaco, the president and co-founder of Anchorage. Anchorage is a institutional first platform for interacting with Bitcoin and other crypto assets for institutions to just hop on and they are going to become a nationally chartered bank. So this is the plumbing of how institutions get into crypto and Bitcoin, and they offer some really, really innovative solutions around how they manage keys and how they enable institutions to get what they expect out of the traditional fiat system with how they manage Bitcoin keys. So this was a very, very fascinating interview with Diogo. Diogo has a rich, rich history in both academia as well as cybersecurity and key protection. He says that you know he was training his whole life to do this kind of job and to protect keys. So again, Anchorage is a company that needs to be on your radar. And I think that this interview is going to be particularly interested interesting to Bitcoiners that, you know, are interested in how institutions are going to be interacting with the space. Before we get into the podcast, I want to tell you guys about Level. That is LVL.co. It is a new type of Bitcoin bank and savings account. Instead of thinking of a Bitcoin exchange as like a brokerage, Level wants to be a fintech company that builds with Bitcoin. So they give you an FDIC checkings account, but they also give you a Bitcoin wallet and they give you free and no fee exchanges with no hidden spread, nothing, absolutely free trading between your wallet and your checking account. And they want to be the hub for all of your Bitcoin banking. So in the future with Level, let's say you're a Level customer, you're getting paid in fiat from your job, you're getting that direct deposited into your Level account, you can set how much of that you want to be automatically transferred into Bitcoin. So with Level, you could get paid in BTC if you wanted to. You could do a 10%, 90%, 70%, 30%, whatever you are comfortable with. Level wants you to be banking with Bitcoin. If you want a personal Bitcoin standard, Level is the place for you to achieve that with full fiat exchanging and everything like that and no fees whatsoever. Check out LVL.co today. I think it's really exciting that we have on-ramps that are moving in this direction of more of a challenger bank style. So very excited for Level and very excited to see where they push Bitcoin. All right, guys, that is enough of me. Let's get into the show with Diogo. Welcome, everyone, to Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. And Diogo, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to interview you. You are the co-founder and president of Anchorage, which is one of the most important custody solutions and most innovative custody solutions out there. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Diogo, there's a lot of topics that I want to jump into, but really briefly, let's kind of talk about your early history. You did a great podcast with Pomp where you go really deep into this, but let's uh, give the listeners a brief kind of history on how you got into securing digital assets. Yeah, the, the history, I guess the long story medium is, uh, is interesting because I was actually working on my PhD about 14, 15 years ago, and I was publishing academic papers on hash cash. So I was doing proof of work for a totally different problem outside of monetary policy, of course. And I was working on Byzantine full tolerance and I was working on these types of distributed systems. So it was pretty fascinating. That was actually the reason why 
when I joined Square very early uh, in 2011, when Bitcoin came around and be started to become popularized, I uh, it latched onto it. I had worked on every single building block of Bitcoin. And so it was, it was obvious that for me, this was something that I was working on, except that it was very academic in pursuit. I loved it. And so I worked at Square, led the platform security team for four years, and then ended up moving to Docker to lead the security team at Docker, and then starting Anchorage uh, just over three years ago. And not to go too far into your history, but Square is, you know, one of the biggest Bitcoin companies out there right now. Back in the early days when you were getting excited about Bitcoin, I'm assuming you and Jack talked about Bitcoin in the past. Like what was, you know, what was the, the narrative around Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies like in early Square, even though, you know, obviously that was early Bitcoin as well? Yeah, I would say that there was essentially no talk of Bitcoin at Square until 2015, which is when I left. Or if there was, there was very little. There were people obviously internally that were very excited. And of course, the, the seeds were already there. But it was nothing that was actually, you know, formal. It does seem like the company had a major shift. And part of this is credit to the Square Cash team, which is a really innovative team that has been launching service after service for consumers at Square. And that team was the one that was actually the one pushing forward with the Bitcoin narrative. And it's been just so fantastic to, you know, in a way, start out my career at Square 10 years ago, very early on, and then now running a, a crypto company and have Square do so well and do so well, partly because of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been awesome to watch it. So let's turn the page over to Anchorage. You started Anchorage in 2017. You guys are a qualified custodian in the US and you're working with some of the biggest companies out there. Visa is one that you name dropped before. But I guess let's talk about, you know, what makes Anchorage, you know, different, you know, and why is the Anchorage approach been so successful so far? Yeah, so that company over three years ago started out, as you mentioned, as a custody company we knew that cold storage was not the right answer for institutions. If you think about it, in a sense, cold storage, I affectionately name it pirate custody, is the same technology that the pirates used in the 1700s. They had gold coins, they store them in treasure chests, they bury them in islands, and then they had these maps that they knew how to follow to go recover the coins. You know, cold storage in a way is very much that. It is USB keys with private keys. It is safety deposit boxes on a mountain somewhere or a bank somewhere. And then there is an actual checklist on how to go recover it. And so there's a lot of advantages of doing like that and having this proxy to physical security of a digital asset. But it just simply does not work very well if institutions are trying to move these funds very fast, need very fast access to us, to this, need to participate, are investing in other assets that require governance or are trying to do anything more complex other than, you know, just store them and invest them for the long haul. So we knew that there was new technology that needed to be built that had the same characteristics of cold storage, the good stuff. It was as safe, if not safer, in our case, safer than cold storage, but did not have this trade-off of having humans having to touch key material. So let's talk about that, right? This is a Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Bitcoiners are very into cold storage and multi-sig and kind of like the Bitcoin native stuff. I haven't heard before Anchorage of something that is better than cold storage. Can you like talk to, talk to us about that and like, you know, what that entails? Yeah, absolutely. We do have to distinguish what is best for institutions than what is best for individuals. Those two answers are actually significantly distinct. 
Why? Well, part of the reason is that an, a company is not owned by one individual. And in fact, a company must have multi-party integrity, multiple individuals, no unilateral ability of stealing funds or making decisions. So that immediately changes things quite a bit because there's no sovereign individual. There's actually a set of individuals that are the owners of this company and they're actually uh, calling the shots. And so there's no, no easy way of having one person in charge because you're actually running risk to do so. So now to the second point of your question, which is how can you actually make something safer? Well, the reason why something is safer than cold storage is because protecting Bitcoin and protecting cryptocurrencies is a lot more than just safe generation and safekeeping of private keys. In fact, part of the things that people forget is that are two other incredibly important points as important as safekeeping the private keys themselves. One is how do you identify the individuals? How do you have individual authentication and authenticity of the individual that is supposed to have access to that. And the other one for institutions is how do you authenticate institutional intent? So those are really the three pieces. Is the key generated correctly and safe? Yes, that's what we talk about when we talk about cold storage, but people do not cover on how do you know it's actually Diogo and does Diogo's company actually want to move these assets, yes or no? Yeah, th- that makes sense. And, and it would make sense why, you know, an individual would want to put their cold, you know, use cold storage, put it under their mattress, whatever. Whereas, obviously, an institution has a much more complex set of, um, you know, situations and, 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 and key stakeholders. I guess, I know you need to be vague. I'm sure there's a lot of proprietariness on how you actually achieve better than cold storage for institutions. But can you kind of get into the details? Like, yeah. I'm kind of curious, yeah, like, of course, how is this actually achieved? That is, that is the most fun part, is getting into the details. And the, the answer is the following. The answer is people treat keys like they used to treat keys in the public key infrastructure world. The reality, though, is that keys are not the most important thing for Bitcoin. The most important thing for Bitcoin are the signatures. And that's actually a small distinction, but it's a very important one. The way that people do and used to do private key security was all about protecting the key itself. In Bitcoin, the key is not as important as protecting the signing process. And so if you do a something called a signing oracle, imagine that you have a very safe key and I can tell you that it is impossible. I somehow have 100%, 100% guarantee that this key cannot be extracted, this key cannot be hacked somehow. But you're giving me a signing oracle, you're giving me the ability of requesting uh, payloads to be signed, it doesn't matter that the key is very safe. You can just request a transaction to be signed and then the assets move on chain and all of a sudden the most secure key is now useless, right? And so protecting the integrity of the signature is the most important thing. So what Anchorage does on one of these things, and remember that I mentioned three key important pieces, uh, protecting the keys and generation of the keys, protecting the intent of the institution and the intent of the individual. So for the private key generation protection, we use hardware security modules and we run the business logic the policy engine that says who is allowed to actually transact and how many people are required and who is required and what's the word of the quorum, K out of N, all of those things is encoded alongside the keys. And so with Anchorage, you don't have any signing oracles. You don't have any ability to just request the key to sign a payload. You have the policy encoded alongside the keys that ensures that the right things are happening. So that's the piece number one. The piece number two is authenticating the individuals. We have private keys that are also generated in hardware on the client side. And so with Anchorage, the security really comes from hardware on the client to hardware security modules on our side. Really doesn't really matter what's in the middle. We we protect from hardware to a hardware. 
But now on the, on, the, on the client side, you need to authenticate the individual. It can't just be a YubiKey or some type of device that you just click and you'll be able to actually do transactions from. So Anchorage relies heavily on biometrics. We have several types of biometrics where we identify the human. So we can univocally say that, yes, this is Diogo transacting. And we have all of this metadata that we collect to then use for the third point, which is actually look at the organization's pattern of behavior. And then we can actually have a lot of metadata to do risk analysis of whether this is something that we want to accept or something that we don't want to accept. So those are the three key pieces. Hardware security modules with policy engine, keys and hardware on the client side with the ability of doing several types of biometrics, identifying the specific human, and a lot of metadata to do risk analysis and collection to actually decide whether this is organizational intent or not. I mean, that makes sense. And again, it it makes a lot of sense in the context of a large organization that wants to deal in Bitcoin or crypto assets. I guess I'm asking yeah, like... Maybe I'll, I would add this point, which is as, you know, as a Bitcoiner myself, there's a lot of this conversation around, you know, not, a key, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And I actually think that's absolutely the case. And platforms like Anchorage are not against not your key, not Bitcoin, not at all. In fact, that needs to be there. People need to have the option of taking their own assets in hand and having all sovereignty over their assets. They need to have that option. However, institutions also specialize in many other ways. And so there's no way that every company in the world is going to be able to build a very sophisticated crypto custody stack with all of the sets and bells and whistles and security protocols and auditability and regulatory clarity as Anchorage has built. So it's just a normal process of specialization. It is really not against now your keys in Bitcoin. In fact, is it a potential alternative for institutions? And so I'm very much of um, the opinion that we need the ability of having these bearer instruments. And that's one of the beauty th- the beautiful things about Bitcoin. Absolutely. And you kind of front ran my question, actually, but I completely agree with your sentiment. And, you know, my sentiment is that Bitcoin is programmable money. So people are going to program it the way they want and use it the way they want. And it's about optionality and it's about choice. So exactly like you, you stated there. So I guess kind of talking about institutions using Anchorage. So this would not be a situation where institutions want to take custody. They are saying, hey, we want this, you know, this infrastructure, this capabilities, and we're willing to work with a third party in order to get that. Is that correct? That's right. So Anchorage used to be a custodian. Right now, we're a lot more of a platform. We have done that transition. So when I mean the platform, what I mean is that Anchorage is actually a regulated platform for institutions to come into crypto. That's the, the general description of Anchorage. And we provide the infrastructure, think about custody APIs, brokerage APIs, all of these elements that are required, pricing, blockchain interaction. We provide all of that infrastructure alongside all of the prime services that you need for your business, buy and sell, lending, yield generation through staking, all of these other elements that are outside of the Bitcoin world, but are very much present in some of the other cryptocurrencies. So think about a bundle that has all of the services and all of the infrastructure with a regulatory wrapper. And part of the reason why the regulation is necessary is because, as you mentioned, it should be a choice for you to go with the best platform in the world for you to do custody with. It should be your choice. You should have that choice to go with the experts and actually rely on him on them. However, some institutions are regulated by law to do so. So some institutions don't actually have that choice. The regulation says, for example, that RIAs are mandated to store with a third party their assets. So Anchorage is a qualified custodian. Therefore, we meet that regulatory checkbox that allows us to actually have these assets count as a third party asset. 
So I want to transition over to your comments on the OCC clarity that came down. I believe it was like almost two months ago now, but I know that's had big implications for Anchorage and you guys recently filed for a national bank charter. Can you talk about that news specifically and then kind of transition into you know, what that means for Anchorage? Yeah, so Anchorage is uh, filing for national charter, so a federally chartered bank, which would actually be the first crypto company with a national chartered, not just char- chartered bank, which is amazing for the space. So just that- Not just Wyoming, right? Not just Wyoming. So Wyoming is state regulation and OCC is really federal level. There are three main advantages of having a federal charter and having a bank that is at the level of the OCC. The first one is that you are speaking eye to eye with all the other national banks you are coming to the table at the same level. And so that's incredibly important, especially important because there's a lot of banks coming into the space right now. There's a lot of bulge bracket banks, challenger banks that are seeing Square and now PayPal, and they want to participate. They want to come into the space. So that partly started when the OCC regulatory clarity came into play. And now Anchorage is receiving all this inbound and is a lot easier to provide subcustody services and API services if you are also under the same type of regulatory structure as the client. So that, that's the, the, first, the first big, big reason. The, the second big reason is that having a federal charter actually preempts some of the state-by-state regulations. So for example, you don't need MTLs. You no longer have to file for state-by-state MTLs because you're covered at a, a federal level. And then the final component is really the signal that it sends to the market around, hey, we are here to stay, crypto is here to stay. This is, this is serious. This is being regulated at the federal level. That's also incredibly important from a perspective of uh, branding and just showing that the space is reaching maturity. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, congratulations on that. It's, it's beautiful to see, you know, how institutions and governments are now kind of taking away the, the, the career risk and the reputation risk that comes along with, with crypto and really enabling it. I'm kind of curious, you know, obviously Anchorage is a multi, is a multi blockchain, multi asset platform. I'm kind of curious when you guys work with these different clients, what are the conversations like? Is it, you know, is most of the interest coming from Bitcoin? Are they interested in creating, you know, what, what are these institutional clients coming and asking for? And what is like the majority of your demand? Yeah, it's changed quite dramatically. And it also changes depending on obviously the price of Bitcoin. So when the price is higher, as you'd expect, there's a lot more interest. What we're seeing this time around in this particular run-up in prices is that there's a lot of institutions that already been looking into Bitcoin and other crypto crypto assets for the past two years. And now it's the right time for them to come in. So it's pretty fantastic because in 2017, they were asking questions. They were asking to be educated around the space. And now they have formalized the decision. They have something concrete that they want to do, some business that they want to run. And now they're actually asking for help doing it. So that's a pretty big difference. And about three years ago, the primary clients that we had were crypto funds, VC firms, these kind of like uh, on the edge of investment. And now it really changes dramatically. Anchorage has clients like exchanges and miners and, you know, very big investors and all of these uh, players that want infrastructure. So it's actually changed quite dramatically what people are looking for. I would say that everyone obviously wants Bitcoin, but very few of our clients have just Bitcoin or invested in just Bitcoin. And in particular, I think we've seen a lot of excitement around stable currencies 
And that growth has been very clear in this institutional world. We've also seen the growth around DeFi and exciting opportunities, both from yield generation and the investment side. We've also seen a lot of that. And so it's very rare for us to have a client that only has one asset. And, you know, the philosophy of Anchorage is we believe that the platform should not dictate the investment strategy of the client. And so we really are meeting clients' demands more than, you know, setting a path for what we think the future is going to be. Regarding kind of the other activities and things like that, do you see Bitcoin making its way into the DeFi ecosystem, into maybe being a backstop for a stable currency? Is there any sort of like interest in that? And where, where do you see kind of Bitcoin as a, as a monetary unit, you know, moving into the future? Absolutely. There are two primary things that I would say are definitely happening. One of the things is that our investors have Bitcoin with Anchorage and they want to generate yield on it. And so lending has been a big area of growth for Anchorage. We can lend out your Bitcoin and you can generate yield on it. A lot of institutions are interested in that. And so that's one of the components is how can I generate yield off of my, um, off of my Bitcoin itself? And so it's Bitcoin's returns plus. So that's one element. The other element is that people want and have been participating with Bitcoin in DeFi through wrapped tokens. So in this case, wrapped Bitcoin. Anchorage, in fact, is wrapping a lot more assets. We launched wrapped Filecoin, wrapped Zcash, and a lot of new assets that are wrapped are coming out because assets like Bitcoin that are on some chain can have utility on other chains by actually having a translation layer. So Anchorage is the translation layer. We allow you to have access to all of these exciting new developments without you actually leaving the world of Bitcoin. So that's the other side of this that we've also seen a lot of interest in. It makes a lot of sense. In terms of like what you provide versus multi-sig versus collaborative custody. You know, where do you see, I mean, obviously you guys are building towards what you think your clients want, but is there a middle ground? Is there a world where businesses want to hold their own keys and have some sort of like, let's, you know, let's say collaborative help where they have control of their keys, but they're working with someone to, as a co-signer or to like help them somewhere that's like less fully managed and more like in, in the middle ground. Is there room for that in, in the future? There, there's absolutely room. And in fact, as, as we mentioned, there should be the availability of, uh, of services like that. And people should definitely choose what they want to actually use it or how they actually want to do storage. And if they want something collaborative or if they want other players. I think the reality though, is you're going to see players like Anchorage that are regulated and that are safe and they're going to be continue to be safe for forever. And so every year that goes by, there's less an incentive for you to go through any other process that is more complex, more expensive, that takes more time for you to access your assets versus going with somebody like Anchorage that has proven themselves over and over and over again. It actually provides you a platform and a system that has all the security requirements that you want and more that you are unlikely to be able to build itself. So if the question is, is there space for multi-signature uh, type protocols or multi-collaborative type protocols where there's multiple institutions with keys, there are, but humans usually are going towards the safest, easiest, the easiest thing that they can do. And if they get the same safety or better in a place where it's actually all of these other advantages are available, you have APIs, you have ability to buy and sell, you have all of these services, you do, you can still do things like we do where we can prove reserve of the assets, you are working with an institutional custodian that is able to give you all of these other bells and whistles and services, you know, that's, that's the easy approach. And institutions usually go for 
for safe and easy. They don't, they, 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 they don't have the technology sometimes or knowledge to try to compare these solutions on their own. Okay. I mean, again, makes a lot of sense. Kind of, you know, transitioning into more like legal questions. I know you're not a lawyer, but I assume that you have kind of a closer touch or pulse to the reality um, in Washington. But there was a lot of hubbub about a bill that was proposed two weeks ago called the Stable Act. It seemed as though it could have far-reaching effects. I'm kind of curious if you have an opinion about the Stable Act or if that's even something that, based on your experience, is palatable amongst lawmakers. Yeah, I think speaking for Anchorage, you know, the Stable Act does not seem to have a lot of impact. We're institutional custodian. We deal with institutions. Um, but I do think in general that not allowing, not, not allowing unhosted wallets, it would be bad for the U.S. I think that's my opinion be bad for us to, to have something that, that impedes unhosted wallets from happening, from happening in, in, in the system. Gotcha. Do you think something like that is like politically palatable or, I mean, I don't know yeah. if that's something that you even know. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would even know that. And, you know, commenting on things like that is always, it's always a double-edged sword. Okay. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, can you talk a little bit more about this world of, I guess, new, like, I guess right now it's DeFi on Ethereum, but there's a lot of players that are trying to, you know, create some sort of distributed trading platforms. Like, can you talk about, you know, that evolution and kind of give our audience some insight into what you're seeing there? Is it all Ethereum? Are there other platforms that, you know, potentially could have some sticking power? There, there are a lot of other platforms out there that are definitely vying for that space. Some of them have been uh, successful. Some of them have, ha- have had some issues, but it's always like that. I think the exciting thing is that everyone is building what they believe is sound money and trying it out, and we're going to see what is going to come out of it. Very much Ethereum is the, the winner there in the, the major request from our clients. Our clients are always requesting us for assets, tokens, staking governance on Ethereum protocols. They're very excited about things like Maker, very excited about things like Compound. And so decentralized exchanges that operate in Ethereum are definitely the, the place where the majority of the action seems to be happening still. And are maybe some of the institutions, are they, are the, I'm sure there's a lot of excitement, but do they get uncomfortable with that kind of a landscape too of exchanging and I guess interacting with digital assets? It's very unconventional. I think, you know, speaking of interacting with digital assets being unconventional and we're taking for granted that investing in Bitcoin and using Bitcoin is not unconventional already, which is fantastic 10 years later or 11 years later. So that's actually pretty cool. I would say it's always, it's like Bitcoin, right? It's like Bitcoin five years ago or Bitcoin three years ago. It's a, it's a risk. It's a spectrum of, of risk. Some people are very much on the bleeding edge and they think this is the thing that they do. In fact, some funds, this is what they do. They're, they're selling DeFi access. And so they are very much on the bleeding edge and access because that's, that's their business. And some of them don't obviously want to touch it. They think that Bitcoin is already on the extreme of the comfort risk that they're willing to take. Um, and so, and so they're, they're very much staying with just Bitcoin. So we, we've seen it all. Okay. And I have one last question for you and it's more of a prediction. So maybe you don't want to answer it, but in terms of just looking forward, you know, you've said you're a Bitcoiner, you know, obviously everyone is trying to build something that would resemble sound money. Like what do you see moving forward? Are we living in a multi-chain world? Are we living in a place where values captured along a Pareto distribution? Is it winner take all? Like in terms of like 
money and what is happening? Like, what's your take? Yeah, I do believe that there will be uh, multi-blockchain worlds. And part of that will be because of geopolitical reasons. Part of that will be because technologies will have their different strengths. There will be sound money. There will be stores of value. There will be blockchains that will focus primarily on, 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 on transmission, on um, all of these other aspects. There will be attempts at true programmable money with Turing complete languages that are they're going to be on the decentralized spectrum and some of them on the centralized spectrum. And then we'll have something that you might not want to call a blockchain, but on the CBD, CBD side, you'll have some transparent cryptographic money with some potential centralization on that side that we might not, might not want to like give it the full credit for being a cryptocurrency, but it will be on the spectrum. So I do think that that's actually the outcome and that's how things end is you are going to have a spectrum of currencies and a spectrum of assets and you're going to choose which one is most applicable for your use case. Okay. And I, I said the last question, it was my last question, but this is actually my last question. <laughs> I want to get your take on, on CBDCs. It sounds like you do see that there is a future for them. I actually have a show called FedWatch and we comment on them quite a bit and you know, follow Christine Lagarde and Jerome Powell and see you know, what they're saying about it. I have mixed views. I'm kind of curious, you know, do you think central banks you know, will pull off something that is akin to you know, digital cash or is it going to be uh, something completely different that's just you know, a CBDC by name? That's a, that's a good question. I'm, I don't know what the answer is. They'll definitely make it easier or they'll make it closer to what we perceive the advantages of digital currencies to be or cryptocurrencies to be. This ability of permissionless access is obviously a big one. And if you reduce the barriers of access to, to the Fed and to the, to the fiat currency world, it might be that it's just good enough. You know, for, for something to see, succeed, usually we say that it needs to be 10x better. It might be that they're just trying to lower the barrier of entry on the fiat world just enough, never quite reaching there, but just enough for it to actually work out and continuing to live on. I don't know. I, I think to, to answer my last question, my last answer, to re- rewrite that answer a little bit, there's also strong network effects that we've seen in a lot of these currencies that sometimes you, you, you can make an argument for winner-take-all dynamics. And that there will be currencies that will just, you know, dominate and that there will be no reason for you to use anything else. But I don't know what the world ends. I'm more on the side with that there will be a spectrum. There will be a mostly centralized digital asset. There will try to call a digital currency. There will be CBDC. There will be on the other extreme, Bitcoin with self-sovereign, completely decentralized uh, sound money. And then there will be plays in the, in, in the middle, things like DM that will be somewhere in the middle in between one and the other. Yeah. Yeah. Diago, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your perspective and answering my kind of tough questions here. Want to give you a chance to plug where people can find you, learn more about Anchorage, as well as any last words that you want to give to the Bitcoin Magazine audience. Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking for people to join the company. Anchorage is growing really fast. You can find us at anchorage.com and you can find me on Twitter at Diogo Monica. Thanks a lot. Cheers. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, 
or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.